Oh, okay. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to New Life. Glad you guys could be here today. And by the way, welcome to 2014. All right, very good. My name is Jeff. All right, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm really glad you guys decided to come out today. We are actually kicking off a brand new teaching series. And we've entitled it Call of Duty. Call of Duty, the best teaching series ever. Woo! Ser- Seriously, man, what what are you guys doing up here? Look out here. Just turn around and look really quick. All right? Look at these people. We're here. We're here for church. What are you guys doing? Playing Call of Duty. You're playing Call of Duty? What do you guys, you guys like, do you guys think like this whole teaching series is about a video game or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, man, I'm, I got, we can't play video games like this, man, at church. We can't play video games on Sunday morning. We're here to worship, not play video games. It's Call of Duty, I know, but it's not about the video game. So put your controllers down. Yeah, in fact, you know what? I'm just turning this thing off, man. You guys, what in the world? You guys maybe can get away with this at home, but you can't get away with this here. All right? So hold on, hold on before you go walking off. Listen, um, after afterwards, like, come back. Maybe we can play, and I can totally teach you guys how to play that game, okay? All right, get out of here. All right. Don't forget. Um, Call of Duty, this teaching series, has nothing to do with the video game. So if you came here today to decide to listen to the message extra careful so that then you could bash me afterwards, I'm here to tell you it has nothing to do with the game. And the little drama should show you. Although they weren't super disappointed, were they, about it? Um, it's like they forgot a certain part of the little skit. So maybe come back to the second service. They might get it right. Just joking, just joking. Um, no, we'll have a little fun with that. As soon as the as soon as the title rolled out, I had a bunch of people coming to me going, "So this video, this is about a video game? No, it's not about a video game. The Call of Duty is going to deal with something way beyond that. The Call of Duty is going to be really focusing on four things that um, you know we as a staff, we as a church believe God's called us to do. See, God places a high value on call. He places a high value on calling people, calling people to action, calling people to duty, calling people to a responsibility. God places a high call on that, a high responsibility on the call because he wants your life to have meaning. Everyone, he says, whosoever believes in me, you know, whosoever believes in him, he's put a call on their life. But a lot of times people think of the call as something completely different. And today what we need to understand is that what God's call is, is it's a call to action or a call to duty. And a duty is an obligation or an action. It's a responsibility that you've been given to perform. So as an example, at your job, you have, a, you have duties that you have to you know, fulfill. You have responsibilities. You have actions that you've been given. You're responsible to make them happen. You were called to do that when you were offered the job. And when you, you know, submitted yourself and you said, I'll take the job, then you actually set yourself up for the responsibility to follow through with those things. And what we need to know is that when God calls us and gives us a set of duties or responsibilities, when we seek after those, we fulfill them and we run after them with all of our heart, guess what? That's where you and I find our greatest joy. Our greatest joy is always going to be found in God's call of duty on our lives. Calls of duty, what could those be? It'd be to start a business. You know, it could be to get married to a certain person. It could be to share your faith. It could be giving of a special tithe 
or a special offering to someone. It could be fulfilling the call that you sense God's put on your heart to go work in our children's ministry or to become one of our youth leaders here or, in my situation, to become the lead pastor at this church. Everyone has a different call with a different responsibility, with a different duty that has to be fulfilled. But I'm going to tell you today, and many of you are aware of this already because you're experiencing it, but when we fulfill those, that's when we find our greatest joy. Our greatest joy isn't found in just what you think is going to make you happy. If you've ever tried to chase after that, you've discovered that it quickly ended in a, in a lot of despair. Some of you tried to chase after happiness and you lost a lot of zeros in your bank account. Now that didn't bring a lot of joy, did it? You searched after happiness in a relationship with someone, then you got burnt and you got your heart broken. That didn't bring a lot of joy, right? You tried to create something and make something happen out of nothing, and God wasn't the one calling you to do it, and you ended up falling flat on your face. That didn't bring a lot of joy. But go back and remember the moments. Remember the moments that you felt God directed you, He spoke to you, and you followed it. And then things began to happen. Relationships began to flourish. Ministry began to take place. You gave, you gave some finances away, but yet you found great joy in your heart. See, that's, that's what God's called us to. That's, that's what it means to have a call of duty. Now, I used to be in the military and I served in the Air Force and the call of duty, that phrase call of duty is primarily it comes from a military concept. And the call of duty wasn't when I went into basic training. It wasn't when I went through tech school. It wasn't when I ended up at my first base and my first job. The call of duty and the real understanding of the call of duty happened the day I got deployed into the middle of the desert. When, you're, when you get deployed into the middle of a desert, into a war environment, you instantly understand what it means to be called to duty. Um, that's what the phrase means. When you're put into harm's way, when you're put into those action places, when you're out there, your training's done, you're not playing games anymore, you're in the real-life scenario, your life is out on the line, you've now been called to duty. Remember in our country's history when we implemented the draft, and the draft numbers went out, and then people's numbers came up, what was the what was a common phrase that people used when their when their number came up and they were now having to be enrolled or enlisted into the into the military? <laughs> Run for Canada. Yeah, very uh, very good, very good. That's uh, that's very manly. Um, proud of you. Um, really, really, my number. I've been called up. You know, my number got called. And this is this is the deal. We're not in a physical war today. But we are in a spiritual war. We don't fight against flesh and blood. But the Bible tells us we fight against powers and against principalities. And this spiritual battle that we're in right now in our culture is, are we going to live God's way? Are we going to live man's way? Which one is it going to be? Who's going to be the captain of your life? You or Christ? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 that Jesus... It's supposed to be the captain of your life, the one who calls you and gives you the duty. It says that in Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now hold on, because that seems like it reads kind of weird. Um, it's fitting for him. Who's him? God. God the Father. God the Father. That's Him who created all things and all things are for Him. And He saw it to be fitting 
that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be the captain of our salvation and that he alone become perfect. If we're going to respond properly to the call of duty, then we're going to have to first know who is your captain. Who's the captain of your ship called your life? Is it Christ? Who's the one calling the shots? Is it you? Who and what are you in new life? What are we really called to accomplish? And what really are our duties that God's called us and asked us to live out? The very first one we want to tackle today is this. Since Jesus is the captain of this place, and he's the captain of this church, he's the captain of my life, I want him badly to be the captain of your life. I don't want him just to be a name that you know. I don't want him just to be someone that you say that you love. I want him to be your captain. And if you're out on the battlefield and the captain says, charge, then guess what you do? You get up and you charge. If the captain says, get your head down, then you get your head down. If your captain says, hey, just be quiet and be still, then you're quiet and you're still. Captain has a lot of authority and a lot of power when a soldier is out on the, on the battlefield at the call of duty. So should the captain of our faith, Jesus Christ, have that same authority, have that same command, and have that same respect inside of our hearts and in every day, and in every day battle that we're in. Battle of our culture of making you the captain or making Jesus the captain. And so week one, what we want to tackle is, we want to tackle a value that God's put here at New Life, a value that we want to teach, a value we want to instruct, a value that we want to live. And that first value is authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. It's living authentically versus a fake. Now, as an example, let me just kind of throw it out there. Maybe you've seen these shows before. Have you ever watched that uh, antique road show before? Anybody watch those? Anybody have watched any of those shows on TV about the uh, the pawn shops where people bring bring items in and they're they're trying to pawn them and get great value for them? You guys even watch any of those kind? All right, have you ever seen the shows where someone walks in and they think, man, I have got an item and it is worth tons of money. I got an item and this thing has got a lot of value to it. It was passed down from, you know, my mom to me and from her mom to her and from my great grandmother down. This thing has been, it's got a story to it. It's got documents to it. This thing is, in fact, this one piece, this one vase, this one furniture item, this one painting, this thing is, this is the deal I'm going to retire on. It's got tons of value. In fact, people have told me it's probably worth a million dollars. And then they walk onto one of these shows with this grandiose story, hoping that, you know, this is the moment that their story is going to be validated. Here's here's where someone's going to write them the check. This is where they check out of, you know, working. They're going to retire for the rest of their life, only to find out that the item is a what? It's a fake. Oh, man. You don't want, that's just a bummer. And when you watch those shows and you see the look on the person's face and it just kind of like, oh, it sinks. They don't hardly believe it. It's hard for them to even wrap their head around. No, you no, no, you don't understand. I know that you're the expert, but there's just no way you can understand. How does the expert step into a situation like that where the story has been passed down for three generations and someone believes it to be real and they believe it to have a lot of value? How does the expert step in and tell someone, You know, I'm really sorry, but the thing you thought was authentic is really a fake. How do they really do that? Isn't it that they they truly know what the original looks like? How could you ever tell if something's a fake if you don't really know what the true original looks like? I've been told that at, at banks all across America, one of the ways that they train tellers 
to know when a counterfeit is coming through their hands is they, they test them on what the original looks like. They make sure that they know the ins and the outs of an original. Well, that's at least what's what they used to do. Now they just take that marker out and mark on it. <laughs> We've really dumbed down all of our training. <clears throat> it's come down to a marker. Does it work? Does it not work? Seems like it's good. Pass it on. But it used to be that they would train them, have them look at, feel, touch, you know, even smell, hold up to a light, really know for sure, is that thing an original or not? How does someone know whether something's authentic or it's fake? And the only way that you can really know that is not about studying what fake is, but it's about studying what the original is. Which that brings us to our question today. In our journey of this call of duty, looking at authentic Christianity, my big question to you is, is your Christianity authentic? Is it authentic today? Well, yeah, Jeff, it is. Man, I mean, I go to church every day. I mean, I pray, I give, it's all those kind of things. Is your Christianity authentic? How can you know? A couple of things I want you to focus on today. First off is this. Authentic Christianity requires genuine Christ following. That's the first thing right off the bat. Genuine Christ following. Genuine? Genuine is a very important, it's very important to us. You know, genuine is something that brings value and worth to us. I mean, just look around at all the name brands. You look around at all the name brands. What does genuine do? Genuine creates status. Genuine, it screams something about our lives when we're wearing just the right clothing, when we're driving just the right car, when we own just the right things, when they're genuine, when they're authentic, when they're real. Those those things, they scream something. They scream this. They say, look at me, right? This is the real deal. This is, this is authentic. Look at this. That's a real Rolex. I know I bought it in Mexico at a little hut, but it's real. Sure, the R fell off of Rolex, but nothing could be perfect. Genuine. It creates status, man. It makes you feel important. You know, such as in a, in a marriage, you know, a husband goes out and he buys a, a ring for his wife, right? And he, Gets down on one knee and he offers that, that solitaire ring and he says, honey, I, I want you to, I want you to be the love of my life for the rest of my life. And, you know, would you marry me? And she says, absolutely. And man, that, that little solitaire ring is just like, it's popping. It's simple, but that, that stone on the top, it just, boom, it comes alive. And then you got the rest of the ring that kind of goes with it, whether it sits down in something or another band goes up next to it. And man, she's, she's wearing this thing, loving it, right? Thinking, that it's real, but what if you know that the stone in it isn't really real, right? Now, listen, we got married 26 years ago. I'm just going to tell you right now, the ring I gave my wife had a fake stone in it, all right? We didn't have the money to buy anything other than that. And my dad said to my wife, he goes, listen, Kim, if you're out in, in the community and anyone looks at that ring and says, they go, hey, man, is that real? You tell them, absolutely it's real. This isn't a figment of your imagination, But he wasn't talking about the stone, was he? See, the wedding band really comes down to the stone. And if the stone is fake and everyone gathers around it and they look at it and they see the fake stone and then they go, whoa, that's a beautiful ring. I can't believe that, man. That's amazing. Wow, he must really love you. Yeah, he does love me. The stone, though, the stone's fake. Then what does everybody do around it? Everyone goes, oh, okay. But if they look at it and it's 
big and it, it blings and, you know, it sparkles and they go, man, he must really love you. Yeah, he does. That is a real diamond. Then what do all the girls do? Oh my! Wow, that's amazing! Hey, and they call, girl, hey, come over here. You gotta check this ring out. Hey, can I touch it? Hey, can I put it on my finger? Like, if it's genuine, if it's real, now people make a big deal out of it. Now they want to touch it. Now they want to feel it. Now they want to call all their friends around it. See, genuine has great value. And the question that you've got to ask yourself is, are you genuine in your Christ following? Are you the real deal? Are you the real deal? Because if you're the real deal, now people are going to want to know what's going on. But if you're not the real deal, then people are just going to go, oh, you're one of those Christians. We don't want to be a church full of one of those Christians. We want to be a church full of original. We want to be a church full of the genuine. We want to be a church full of people that are genuinely, passionately seeking after Christ and modeling it in the community. That's who we want to be. And Jesus said this about genuine in Matthew chapter 7. He said, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Notice, there's a massive difference in this passage between the words that we say and the actions. Look at what it says. It says that just as you can, you can identify a tree by its fruit. You can identify people by their By their actions. That's one thing that it says. Then it comes back and it says, not everyone who calls out, who speaks out, who says, you know, I go to new life or, you know, yeah, sure, I I believe in God. Not everybody that says those things is really genuine and authentic. But then it comes back and it says, it's only those who actually do the will of the Father. There's an emphasis in Scripture put on what you do more than what you say. The old adage really still is true. Actions do speak louder than words. Many times we forget that. We think it's our word. If I just say the right thing at the right time in the right place, if I'm in the right place, new life, on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock service, then everything's really going to be okay, isn't it? No, it's about the action of your lives. The genuine picture, the authentic Christian is the one who's living out those actions in their workplace. If you're a manager, you're living those out. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Do you want to blow your top all the time? Yep, you do. If you're a mom, do you just want to like scream and just, you know, lock the kid in the, in the room for some time? I probably. Should you? No. I mean, sometimes you look at your neighbor and you just kind of want to, you know, oh man, man, if I could just, life would be a lot better if that neighbor just moved. I mean, our actions, how we act, what we do with one another, how we illustrate Christianity is what the world's looking at way more than what they're listening for out of your voice and my voice. Authentic Christianity is genuine Christ following. That's portraying the original. It's loving people that are unlovable. It's meeting people right where they're at and embracing them and help to build the strength in them, build the best in them instead of tearing people down. Instead of trying to elevate yourself, you try to elevate others. But listen, what was their driving force in that passage? What was the driving force? What was the fuel in that passage? If you can remember back to the passage we just looked at, what was the driving force? It was that they were willing to do the will of God, not their own will. They were willing to live their life fulfilling the will of the Father in heaven. 
So what is genuine Christianity? What is genuine Christ following? It all comes back to surrender, guys. There is no way in 2014 that you and me are going to grow one ounce more like Christ, one step closer to Christ, unless we're willing to surrender. I'm convinced, I'm convinced in my short life that I lived on this planet, and in the short time that I've, I've been a pastor on this planet, that surrender to God's will fixes a lot of issues. It heals marriages. It fixes relationships between parents and their children. It, it takes care of, you know, how you do business. It keeps you above reproach. It gives you integrity. It softens your heart. It makes you more joyful. It makes you more peaceful. It all comes back to surrender. But surrender to who? Surrender not to Jeff Baker. No, not surrender to new life. No, no, it's surrender to the will of the Father in heaven. And surrender to the will of the Father in heaven, I'm going to tell you right now, is not easy. It's very difficult. It's very hard. Because the culture and the world we live in is a spiritual battle of whether you're going to surrender to you and let you be the captain or you're going to surrender to him and let Jesus be the captain. But a lot of counseling, Christian counseling, could probably boil right down to surrender to God. Your idea is your idea. Your thought is your thought. It's not God's thought. What is God's agenda? And come back and live that. Surrender to God. Let's just be honest with each other. Genuine Christianity is way more exciting. And genuine Christ following is what the world is looking for. So, how in the world can we, how, how can we apply that? How can we do it? Live, live your life as a genuine reflection of Christ, not a copy of Christ. There's an epidemic in the church today. The epidemic is we're trying to be copies of Christ instead of being originals or genuines it sounds really good doesn't it when we look at scriptures like follow me as i follow christ paul says well then to become a copy right no to become an original to become a genuine there's a big difference in these things look at second corinthians 318 i'll help explain what i'm talking about it says and we all with unveiled faces reflecting say the word reflecting Okay, reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord are ourselves continually being transformed into the same likeness from glory to glory as by the Lord, the Spirit. Let me just illustrate the difference in what, what he's trying to say here. Reflecting. Reflecting is me taking this mirror, okay? And I'm, I'm taking these lights and I'm reflecting them. I apologize if this shoots you in the eyes. I'm If you can see from my angle, you would see there's about 12 little squares shooting out into the audience. I'm really not trying to aim for any of you, although I know I'm going to hit some of you, okay? But I'm trying to drive home a point. Okay, I am going to aim at one person. All right, there you go. Okay, (laughs) sorry, sorry. I had to do it, though. It was was important because it it models friendship between men. All right, there you go. All right, so anyways, this is reflecting. This mirror itself, this mirror itself has no property that allows it to create light. All it's doing is taking the original and it's reflecting it. That means the mirror is becoming part of the original. That's what's happening here. That's what the scripture is talking about when it's saying, reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. Versus what we what we try to do is we try to recreate the light. I'm going to go shine my light someplace. This is me trying to recreate those lights. This is not reflecting that light out there. And if this hits you, it hits you in the eye, I am sorry, but this is, this is not reflecting the light. This is me trying to create my own light. This is like a copy 
This is nowhere near as powerful as that. It's flawed. It's not even worth as much. You can go buy this thing. It says Coleman Max on it. You can probably go buy it for like the right time at the right place in the checkout line at Menards maybe for like $5.99 or something. That light you're not going to buy for $5.99. This has nowhere near the lumens that that light has. This light can't do the damage that that light can. That, that light can really light up an entire room. This can only light up your path. This is a copy of the original. That light. Or a copy even of the sun. And you and me, if we're going to be originals, if we're going to be genuine Christ followers, we have to drop the idea that we're trying to become copies of Christ and we are searching after the genuine, the original. We are the reflection of Christ. So put up 2 Corinthians um, 3.18 one more time because I want you to see what, what's really happening here. In this passage, to become a reflection and not just seek after this being a little flashlight, then look what's happening. When with unveiled faces, reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord, are ourselves continually being transformed. We are being transformed. We're being changed. There's a metamorphic process that's happening. We're being transformed from being a copy created in God's image to becoming a reflection or an original, a genuine. But that transformation isn't happening by you. That transformation is happening by the Lord, the Spirit. He's the one who's making it happen. So how does God transform, metamorphically take you from being an image of God, a copy, to an original, to a genuine, walking around with that attitude? He does it by His Spirit as you surrender. A copy will always think less of themselves. A copy will be like the thing that gets brought into the, the side roadshow, the antique roadshow, and lays it down and says, this is worth something, right? And he goes, no, I'm sorry. This is just a copy. And when you and me stand before Christ, I don't want us to stand before Christ as a church and go, hey, this is my life. It's worth something, right? And he goes, hmm, it was just a humanistic approach to making a copy. I want us to lay our lives down and go, this is worth something, right? And he's like, yes. You, are, you reflected, you became part of the original, allowing my spirit to reflect the image of Christ off of your life. Reflecting the original, reflecting the genuine off of your life, and you allowed me to metamorphically change you from glory to glory, day by day, piece by piece, memory by memory, emotion by emotion, thought by thought. You allowed me to transform you, metamorphically change you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That happens with the attitude of surrender. What's authentic Christianity? It's genuine. It's original Christ following. Well, it also goes on. Authentic Christianity requires the second thing. Requires accurate Christ following. Not just genuine, but accurate. To be accurate, it requires you to be correct in all of your details. In all of your details. You're like, whoa, hold on. To be accurate... I have to be correct in all of the details. The Bible's a big book. God's big. He's, God's like a mystery. How am I going to be accurate about those things? It is possible. It's possible to look at Scripture and dialogue with it and search it out and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and piece by piece let inaccuracies become accurate. But it's a heart. It's an attitude. You know, it's like, you know, if you tried to go, let's say, sell a car and you put it out there on the papers and you said on Craigslist, man, this car is amazing. It's awesome. It is excellent. This car is in excellent shape. 
person comes and looks at it and they go, well, why is it leaking gas? It's not accurate. That's not right. It's not excellent. I pull up to the thing. It smells like gas. There's a puddle of gas underneath the car. How can you say it's in excellent shape? And if things like that have ever happened to you, it kind of gets underneath your skin and it rubs you raw, doesn't it? That's not accurate. Accuracy is being correct in the details. And in today's culture, accuracy of truth is severely under attack. The accuracy of the truth of Christianity is under attack. And there's an increased pressure to change Christ-centered beliefs for a pluralistic belief system. Meaning that Christ isn't the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That there are others, pluralistic Multiple ways to get to God. And I'm telling you, in today's culture, in today's mindset, in Kearney, Nebraska, not just in Los Angeles or in New York, but in Kearney, Nebraska, there is a sweeping mindset in our culture to dismantle Jesus Christ, the God's only Son. He's the way, the truth, and the life to a pluralistic idea that there's multiple ways to get to God. There's multiple ways to please God. There's multiple ways to live. And if you're just a Christian, you're very narrow-minded. Accuracy is going to require you to come to the attitude of saying Jesus is the only way, he's the only life, and there is no way to the Father except through him. By the way, I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said about himself. And throughout history, culture has always been at attack against this. Satan has always been at attack against this to try to marginalize the accuracy of Christianity and, and compel people to believe that it's just a lie and it's narrow-minded and it has no power and it has no truth. Christianity today also seems very subjective. It's something that people say things on TV all the time and it drives me crazy. I'm a Christian, but I think that we should do it this way. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe what the Bible says here. I'm a Christian, but... This way is the wrong way to live, even though the Bible says it's the right way to live. Let me just tell you something today. You can't say, I'm a Christian, and then follow it with, but I don't agree with, you know, what the Bible says. That's impossible. The Bible is God. The Bible is God's word. It is Christ. Don't buy into that. That's not accurate. That's inaccurate to say, I'm a Christian, but the Bible's flawed. I'm a Christian, but God isn't who he really says he is. That's flawed thinking. That's not accurate. That's inaccurate. That's like the guy who says, my car is perfect, but there's gas sitting underneath the car. So that's not the way we can live. You know, if you live in a neighborhood and you're trying to sell your house, and let's say you're trying to sell your house for $300,000, but you live in a neighborhood of homes that are $150,000, like all the homes around you in the whole neighborhood are $150,000, and you're going to sell your house for $300,000, you're going to be living in that house for a long time. No one's going to want to buy the $300,000 house in an overpriced, you know, uh, out of its market um, in the same neighborhood because they know as soon as they buy it, the value of the house is going to go back down to maybe more reality, where it ought to be. Accuracy. It's important. You've got to, you've got to think right. You've got to be right. You've got to be right in your heart. You've got to accurately come to Christ and say, you are the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other way to get to the Father except through you. Or you're going to be completely wrong, and you're going to live in your wrongness, and in the end, it's going to lead to death. Listen to what 2 Timothy chapter 3, though, has to say about the inaccuracy of Christianity in our world today. It says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
proud, arrogant, abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents, um, ungrateful, unholy, and the list goes on. It says they'll be heartless, they'll be um, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, um, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Time out before we even read the last scripture. Is that, that just sounds exactly like the world in which we live in. It sounds like the world that sits right outside these doors, doesn't it? Except for this passage isn't talking about those who sit outside these doors. This passage goes on and it says, these are the people that, that having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It ends with, avoid such people. That list that I just read, that list I just went through, that ends with, these folks have the appearance of godliness, but they lack the power of God. He's talking, and if you read more of that passage, he's really, he's talking more about the church. He's talking more about people that proclaim to be Christians, but they're not. Proclaim to have the right message, but they're not. They proclaim to have a message that, you know, looks a lot like the culture, doesn't it? But just a little bit of a difference. And God's going, that's completely inaccurate. That's not how you and me are called to live. It is possible in this world to have the appearance of godliness and to live without the accuracy of godliness. Don't strive for that. Strive for accurate Christianity. Inaccurate Christianity does more harm in leading people astray than anything else on the planet. A pastor who gets up like myself and lives lives the life of that passage right there leads more people to hell than any other person on the planet. Jesus even said to Pharisees one day, teachers of the law, you guys will travel to the ends of the earth to win one convert, then to lead them to be twice the son of hell that you are. It's powerful language to those who claim to be part of the church. We're not a church. New life hasn't been, nor will it be in the future. We're not a church of people that are striving after the trendy word that's out there. Or just the, the trendy message that comes and it goes from one, you know, so-called prophet or evangelist to another to one book writer to another. There are truths that are out there and we're going to seek after them. We're going to find them. But we're going to be people that are trying to strive after accuracy in God's word. Now, we're going to create environments that meet the needs of our culture. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stay relevant to our culture in creating environments and making sure that how we communicate is communicating at a level that the seeker, the sinner can walk through our doors and hear a message and go, I want to follow that Jesus. The message of Christ is timeless. The way we present it changes with our time. But his message must be timeless. I'm here to tell you today, as your pastor, the message of Christ It's timeless, and we're going to strive after accuracy. But I need you as individuals to hunt after accuracy in your spirit, striving after it, hunting after it in your life. Or otherwise, you're like a a misguided GPS. A misguided GPS is worthless. You know, a misguided GPS can calculate a destination. It can even give you commands. Turn right now. Turn left here. But in the end, if it leads you to a wrong destination, the misguided GPS is worthless. In fact, it does more harm. It wasted your time, it wasted your gas, and now it made you late to where you really want to go. 
And inaccuracy in our Christianity is like being like a misguided GPS. But Jesus said this about our accuracy and our hunt for accuracy in Christianity in John 14. Take a look at what he said. He says, if you what? If you love me, then you obey my commandments. All right? If you love me, you obey my commandments. Then, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into what? Into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Again, what does it come down to? Surrender to God. Surrender to the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to lead you to accuracy. Authentic Christianity is accurate. Christ following. And the Holy Spirit's the one who does that. But how does he do that? He does it when you first come and you go, I love you. It's true love. It's not misguided love. It's not a love for God so that you can make it to heaven. It's not a love for God so that you can get what you think you want. It's not a love for God because it's trendy. It's not a love for God because you feel the pressure of your parents. It's not that kind of love. It's a true love. It's a love that says, I wake up every day to live for you. And a lot of us have good love, but we don't have great love. Good love is putting other things in front of God that sound really, really good. In certain circles, people would high-five you. If you're a husband and you walk into the circle of men and you go, you know my first love is? My wife. Bam! High-five. Even in a lot of churches. I'm glad that's your first love. But no, I'm telling you, that's good love, but it's not great love. You'll never truly love your wife if you don't first love Christ. If you're living your lives, men, waking up every day, going, you know what I love? I love making sure that my family's safe and secure and there's a roof over their head. Then that's great. That's good love. But it's not great love. Because if that's the fuel you're living with, you're not living truly for God. You're out there trying to do something for God. And God's going, I'm not interested in what you can do for me. I'm interested if your heart is for me. Your heart for me means I'm waking up every single day going, today I'm waking up to serve you. And I get to go provide for my family today. Loving them second. Don't just settle for good love. Strive after great love. That's how the Holy Spirit will then lead you to truth. The second thing of that passage said that you obey his commandments. If you're not striving for accuracy to know his commandments, how are you ever going to obey them? Again, it comes down to the, I think that this is right, or I believe this is what we should do, or my grandmother told me that the Bible said this, or you may, how many times have you ever heard someone quote, um, you know, some passage and say, I think it says it in the Bible. Uh, it's not in the Bible. Sorry. That's just a good, uh, good statement that's been passed down. It sounds good. It's got good morals even to it, but it's not biblical. We have to strive. Strive after knowing the commandments. Knowing what God says. Get into life groups where they study God's word. Coming here today helps us to know God's commandments. Getting into one of our Christian education classes helps you to know God's commandments. If we're striving to love God with everything we have, and we're striving to fulfill his commandments, and we're, we're trying to surrender our lives to God, then the Holy Spirit will help create accuracy in your life. He'll lead you to that. It's all about surrender. Authentic Christianity is about making Jesus the captain of your life. Last weekend, on a holiday weekend, I, I had, um, I needed, I had, I have a, a number of weapons and I needed to go sight in a couple of them. 
they needed new, they had new scopes put on them and I had to go make sure that that weapon was going to be accurate. It was going to hit the mark. And then I, uh, I went out there and we got everything all set up and, you know, my, my rifle's on the, on the stand and it's pointing at the target and I'm pulling the trigger and okay, adjust a little bit to the right. Okay. Two clicks to the right. All right. Two clicks up. Uh, okay. Now back one to the left. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's probably where it is. And I kept, I kept pulling the trigger and bullets were just going all over the target. Now, thankfully they were hitting the target, but all right, because that would really destroy my manliness, but. They were hitting the target, but they were just all over the target. Bullseye, just and, oh, man, the, the guy that was spotting for me goes, uh, two inches to the right. Oh man. All right, three inches to the left. Oh, you know, okay, bullseye. Yes, finally. All right, two inches down, two inches. Like, what in the world? He goes, these things are just flying all over the place. I got frustrated. I just tossed my gun down on the counter and kind of walked away from it. Like, this is ridiculous. And then in my mind, I start playing over these thoughts. Like, Jeff, you used to be really good at this, man. I mean, you used to, like, make small groups, and you just make the bullseye disappear at 100 yards. What's your, what's your problem? You, you won a national award in the Air Force, the Top Gun Award. No, not for flying planes. Oh, that would have been really cool. But with an M16 in different positions and with thousands of rounds through, competing against hundreds of people, and you won. You walked away with the number one top award. What is your problem? And these thoughts start rolling through my mind. I'm starting to get down on myself. And, you know, as they, you get down on yourself, you go, okay, let's try it again. You get up there again, it's like, bam, bam, bam. It just seems like it gets worse. I was frustrated. I was done. Pack everything up. I put it in the car and I drive away. And then I start to remind myself. When was the last time you went out and tried to shoot that thing? You lived in Omaha, downtown Omaha. Where do you shoot these things in downtown Omaha? You walk out of your apartment with that in your hand, you're going to jail. Or someone else is taking you down before you get in your car. I haven't shot this thing for six years, seven years. What makes me think I'm just going to go back out to the bench, lay the thing down after seven years of not shooting it and have the right breathing, not twitch, not flinch, you know? What makes me think that I'm just going to make it all perfect and everything's just going to be that way? It's not going to happen. It's going to require a lot of work to get back to where I was at. I'm going to give it the best I have. It's kind of refreshing to me to go do those things. But in your Christianity, if we're not practicing, if we're not working hard, if we're not staying up with it, if we're not staying current with it, if we just found a moment and then we put it on autopilot and we paused, I'm telling you right now, you're, you're not as genuine as you think you are, and you're definitely not as accurate as you thought you were. You may have been at one point in your life, but you aren't that person anymore. You slipped from that. And to think that we once were, so therefore we should be, is completely inaccurate. To be genuine in our Christianity takes a constant, a constant battle of denying self and making Jesus the captain. A constant battle of accuracy, of striving after Christ. Coming to His Word daily. Coming to Him in prayer daily. Seeking after Him. Allowing Him to evaluate our hearts. Surrender isn't something that you did. Surrender is something that you are. Making Christ your captain is a daily battle. It wasn't a one-time decision. Let's be a church that strives after authentic Christianity by seeking after Christ genuinely and with accuracy. Why don't you stand with me today? As you stand, just stand with a, just an attitude of prayer, if you would, please. It's with your head bowed and your eyes closed across this place. Before our worship team leads us into a time of 
seeking after Jesus as the captain of our faith. I just want you to evaluate in your heart what was it that God said to you today? How was he speaking to you today about your genuineness and about your accuracy? How was he challenging you today in your authentic Christianity, in your authentic Christ following? If you found yourself in autopilot, because if you have, it's easy. Wake up from it, repent, run back to God and surrender. If you found yourself where the the genuineness of, of Christ has become really more of a fake, really more of a fraud, and you know that you're living that way, but you just don't know what to do. I'm telling you, it's easy. Surrender, snap out of it, run back to God. If your accuracy has been one where you've drifted more to a worldly mindset of thinking, where I can be a Christian, but I can also believe things that are different than Christ. I'm telling you today, you need to come back to God and you need to repent. And you need to say, God, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. The church that Kearney in South Central Nebraska is looking for is a church full of people They're striving after authentic Christianity. And they're hungry for people who will truly live out Jesus. The original, genuine Jesus. A reflection of Him on this earth. Let's pray. Father, today, we come to You. We want You to be our captain. We want You to be the captain of our faith. The leader of our life. Lord, we want to pursue You and seek after You with a genuine heart. We want to know your ways accurately so that, Lord, we can model those to the community around us. Lord, we know that throughout this entire sermon today, you've been pointing at a couple of things. Number one, we surrender. And then number two, when we surrender, your Holy Spirit does the perfect work in us. Yeah, that's what happens. If we don't surrender, then the Holy Spirit sits on the sidelines, yelling out into our lives, going, come this way. Come, be more genuine. Come, be more accurate. But we're blinded to it. We close our ears and we just go into our own thing. Lord, today you're gently prodding and pulling on us. You're hungry for a church. A church that would authentically live out the message of Christ. Not live out their own idea. Not live out their own message. Not twist scripture just to make it sound good for today's culture. Not to twist it just to make us feel good about ourselves. But to be accurate. God, forgive us the moments when, Lord, we believe the lie. Lord, forgive us for the moments when we've settled for a copy versus the genuine. Holy Spirit, come into this place right now. You're the master marksman. You can lead us to all truth. If we'll worship you and we'll seek you with all of our heart. So church, let's worship him and let's seek him with all of our heart. Let him lead us to all truth.